Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Happy Sabbath, everybody. How you doing today? Praise Yahweh. It's good to be in the presence of his people and uh, to be in this place. I hope you're having a wonderful Sabbath so far. Uh, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer this morning. Father Yahweh, we're thankful to be in your presence today. Yahweh, as we uh, go into your word and consider the things that you have given us to think about, Father, we just pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to receive from your, your throne today. Yahweh, help us to recognize the areas that we need to improve on, Father, the areas we need to open up so that your spirit can do his work. And Father, I just give you thanks today for all the people here and pray your blessing be upon them. And on this message, in the name of your son, Yeshua, amen. Hallelujah. Well, uh, we want to just welcome everybody here today, and we've got a lot of visitors, and we want to welcome Yaku as well, and looking forward to hearing what he's got to say later this afternoon. And we uh, went to hear him speak at the Majestic, and it was really fantastic. So I know everybody's excited about that, and I'll... Uh, look forward to it as well. So we'll try to only make this a couple hours so we can get right to him, okay? Um, my name is Keith. For those of you who don't know me, uh, Keith Wilson, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Amanda. We have four children, and we are blessed to serve on the staff here at the assembly as the youth ministers. And so it's just our pleasure always to be able to, to bring a word to you and pray it be a blessing. There was a psychologist, a general, and a government official that were tasked with reducing underage crime in a sample population put under their authority. Whoever drops in the most year wins. After the year is done, they have a meeting to discuss the results. The psychologist starts, we lowered underage crime by over 20% in the last year, mostly by introducing counseling courses and social assistance programs. The general goes, crime is down by over 30%. Turns out strict discipline and a one-strike rule can greatly affect people's habits. The official goes last and says, we reduced it to practically zero. The two other rather, rather puzzled at this and to zero, they said, in just a year? Oh no, it only took us a few days. We just set the age of adulthood to one week old. And um, that strikes me as funny because today we're going to be talking about counseling. And we do encounter different issues over the age span and lifespan of people. And the issues that you have at the age of two are quite different than that you have at the age of 22. And still different yet at the age of 52 and so on. So... We wanted to uh, share that with you. We're going to start in the book of Job, chapter 1. And today we're going to talk about counseling. What I'd like to share with you is just a biblical view of counseling and try to answer some questions perhaps about why there's a stigma around counseling and how we can get over that and what, what exactly is the purpose and the benefit. And... Um, I've been, I've been working on this sermon for some time, and I, I wanted to do something special today, but I, d I just lost courage. 
what I wanted to do, so if you'll just, I'm going to tell you what I was going to do. That way, maybe you can just keep it in the back of your mind. I wanted to get, we have suitcase sets, you know, at our house, and they come in three different sizes, big, small, and medium, and I wanted to put a whole bunch of clothes in those suitcases, and then I had six of them, so I wanted to take a chain and put it from each suitcase like a train, if you will, and then I wanted to walk up here dragging it, you know, with my feet. Because how many of you know that whenever you get married, you come into the marriage with what they call baggage? Anybody? It's like going to the airport. You know, you bring your baggage with you so that you can take it with you where you're going. Well, in marriage, it's the same way. You bring with you your baggage into the marriage. And so I wanted to do that, but like I said, I lost courage. So, um, Job was having a difficult time, as you know, in his life. He was a rich man. He was blessed with many children. Everybody knows the story of Job and the um, immense importance of his story, because it's in the book of Job that we answer some of the most difficult questions of life, specifically human suffering and Yahweh's sovereignty and how we put those two together. Many people lose their faith in the Father because of suffering. They cannot comprehend how it is possible that an almighty creator who's in control of all things still yet allows humans to suffer, especially innocent ones. And so Job is a very important book because he deals with this difficult question of suffering. And we know the story, so we're not going to tell it a lot here, but we know that Job was in a great place. He was blameless among his peers. No one could find fault with Job. And yet the devil wanted to tinker with his life. And Yahweh, using him as a divine example, allows that tinkering to go on. And Job eventually loses his children, he loses his property, and is plagued with a terrible sickness of boils. So bad, in fact, that Job was seen sitting among the potsherds, it says, scraping his arms with the sharp edge of the clay pot. So Job has friends. I just want to ask you, do you have friends? And don't raise your hand uh, because we don't want any of you to feel left out. But Job had friends. He was a popular guy. And so uh, Job was in this terrible place of distress and his friends wanted to come and help him. And they wanted to offer him counsel. And uh, they did that for about um, 36 chapters or so. And they got into this religious and, um, shall I say, um, philosophical debate about why this was happening to Job and so on. And by the way, the friend's advice, I just want you to, let's just bounce into chapter 12 here. It wasn't really all that bad. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Job and what his friends were telling him, you might leave thinking, I would have probably said something just like that. And you probably would have. And so would I. Uh, so in the book of Job, chapter 12, uh, that's where Job responds. Let's actually jump in in 11. In verse 7, Zophar says, can you discover the depths of Elohim? This is deep. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And if he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? For he knows false men and he sees iniquity without investigating. An idiot will become intelligent when the foal of a wild donkey is born a man. 
So we understand that most of what he said was true, by the way. And then he goes on and he says, if you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. So his advice is Yahweh is almighty. He sees all things. He can do all things and he knows what you're up to. If you would just cast the sin away in your life, he'll receive you. Job's response, like a typical friend, was truly then you are the people. And with you, wisdom will die. But I have intelligence as you as well. I'm not inferior to you. And who does not know such things as these? In other words, yeah, I get it. I'm not dumb. I know Yahweh's almighty, and I know he's in control. So we had this discourse. The, the special thing about Job is that he gets an answer Many of us going through difficult times and suffering, we do not get the answer that we are looking for. But Job has an incredible experience where the Almighty himself answers Job in the book and the uh, chapter 38 from the whirlwind, the, the whirlwind, what we might consider a tornado. And he says this very interesting statement, which is the foundation of the message today. Let's turn to Job chapter 38, if you will, and let's look at verse 2. The first thing Yahweh asks Job is this. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. And then he says something we hope Yahweh doesn't say to any of us. Gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Just know if, that, if Yahweh ever says that to you, you're in big trouble. That's like your mom or dad saying all of your names from the living room. So when Yahweh says gird up your loins like a man, that means you need to get ready for what's about to come. What does it mean to darken counsel by words without knowledge? The word darkens means to become dark or to grow dim, to obscure or confuse. To become dark, grow dim, to obscure or confuse. The word counsel means counsel or advice, purpose in the Hebrew. The definition of counsel outside of Hebrew is advice, especially given formally Advice, opinions, or the instruction given. Knowledge is perception. It's a skill, discernment, understanding, or wisdom. A lot of people that get into trouble in their life, and we have so much to cover here, so I'm going to try and do it as best I can, but they refuse counsel. They get into trouble, and they refuse counseling. A lot of people tell their friends about their issues, and their friends give them bad advice. Don't raise your hand, but surely some of us have gotten bad advice before from a friend. They turn to people, ideas, websites, which have no knowledge or wisdom, particularly in a biblical sense. I want to tell you that counseling at its simplest 
is about leading a person to right thinking, biblical thinking. Counseling at its simplest is about leading a person to right thinking. Counseling is not about helping somebody be happy. Counseling is not about your happiness. It's about your thinking, which in turn affects your response, which affects your behavior. Most people who come to counseling are there because their behaviors are so bad that it's affecting their life in a really negative way. I'm sure that some of you have behaviors that are affecting your life in a negative way. Counseling is about guidance and direction. Let's talk then, if you don't mind, about the types of counselors. Types of counselors. How many of you know that lawyers are counselors? Think of your favorite uh, movie with lawyers in a courtroom, and when the judge uh, directs his um, line of inquiry or he's talking to the lawyers, he says he calls them counselors. Counselors. That's because if you get into legal trouble, you have two options. You can represent yourself or you can be represented by somebody in the courtroom. Now, many of us don't know anything about the law. We just know when we break it. And we typically know that because we get in trouble or we get indicted with something. And so when you get in trouble, you have to seek out legal advice because you don't want to go into the courtroom not knowing what to say. So we call a lawyer. Now, let's just take the moment and say lawyers get a really bad rap, but they deserve it a lot of times, right? Because lawyers think they know everything because it's their job to know. And so when you get a lawyer, you are essentially asking for legal counsel. So the idea of counseling is not actually that far from our imagination. We can understand that counseling is happening all around us. Psychology is the study of the mind and behavior. So if you need an expert in the law, you call a lawyer. If you need an expert in mind or behavioral issues, you call a therapist. In school, we had what was known as a guidance counselor. True story, I was with a guidance counselor one time in a classroom when I was in the uh, eighth grade. And I was a bit, um, I had a difficult time holding still. I was never diagnosed with ADD or anything like that because uh, I don't think it was a thing when I was in school, but either way, uh, my guidance counselor, I was being loud and obnoxious. She grabbed me by the hair and pulled my head back and said, shut up. <laughs> uh, that did happen. And uh, I can tell you her name, but we wouldn't want to uncover Mrs. Blyle. Um, so anyway, terrible experience. Did get my attention, though. I guarantee you I was quiet. My mom was none too happy when she found out about it, and she did march down to the school as soon as I told her. But that's not exactly the right way to counsel somebody, by the way, but uh, it does get your attention. So if you're ever in a situation, you're getting counsel from somebody and they just smack you across the face or they grab your hair and yank it, just know that they love you and uh, they want the best for you. So we have guidance counselors. In school, anybody can go see the guidance counselor if you're having any kind of problem. But most of the time, guidance counselors are there to help students get through school and to think about their future and so on and so on. 
We have psychologists. We have shrinks, which is the, uh, uh, I don't know where the word shrinks comes from, but it means a psychiatrist. By the way, um, psychologists and psychiatrists are basically the same thing. The only difference is one can administer medicine and the other doesn't. Now, I want to take this into a biblical framework here. Because I want you to know that between the idea of a psychologist and a lawyer, one who understands the mind and behavior, and one who understands the law, Yeshua was both. Think about that for a minute. Yeshua was both. He was an expert in the law, the word in flesh, the Bible tells us. He knew everything there was to know about Yahweh's divine law. As a matter of fact, he was educating at the only the age of 12 in the temple, those elders in the temple. He knew the law. He was a lawyer. But he was also, I'm not going to say he was a psychologist, but I do think that he understood the human mind. And I'll tell you why I think he understood it. Because he could read it. Let's go to, uh, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Isaiah chapter uh, 9, we read that Yeshua and this prophecy about him, it says to, uh, of course, that a child would be born and a son would be given and he would be called, first thing, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. So Yeshua was a counselor. Now, I know some people try to pretend like they can read your mind, and they call that witchcraft. By the way, if you ever go to a counselor and they get out cards and start asking you things, you should get up and leave right away, because you're getting involved in something that's witchcraft, and you should run. But Yeshua, when you approached him, he read your mind. It wouldn't it be handy if a counselor could do that? Some of you are thinking, no, that would not be good. He knew the motives. He knows your past. He knows your failures. That's why Yeshua didn't charge for his counseling sessions. You ever thought about that? He didn't charge anybody for his counseling sessions. Why not? They only took about 30 seconds. It would seem unfair to charge somebody for that short amount of time. So he just, it was always free. His counseling was always, that was my rough attempt at a joke. Sometimes my originals, you know, they, they go in spurts. Sometimes they're better than others. In order to receive Yeshua's counseling, there were two um, catches. There's a catch. First, you had to believe or you had to trust what he was telling you. And secondly, you had to change. Most people avoid counseling because of pride. Ego is the first thing. I don't want to admit that I have problems. The second reason is fear of change. Changing who I am will be difficult, and I'm not sure I can handle it. That's what we're talking about when, it, when I'm talking about fear of change. You know, it's hard to imagine somebody experiencing Yeshua face-to-face and not leaving that encounter changed, isn't it? As a matter of fact, I think we would generally agree that most people who encounter Yeshua left completely changed. 
And that is, by the way, the majority of encounters. But if you look in Luke chapter 17, we can find that it's actually not so for everybody. In Luke chapter 17, verse 11, it says, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing by between Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12, he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance came and met him. And they raised their voices saying, Yeshua, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. I think it's interesting here that Yeshua has healed. I mean, I think over the course of his life, probably thousands of people. And there's a lot of ways that Yeshua heals people. And it's a great sermon. It's not for this moment. But a lot of times, most of the times, even he puts his hands on people. But in this case, his, his uh, recipe for healing was to go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. So again, there was an action that they took. They came to Yeshua. They needed help. They knew he was a healer. So they said, have mercy on us. He says, go to the priest. And they did what he said. Doing what he says is believing and trusting. If you don't believe the words of Yeshua, he cannot help you. If you don't believe him, if you don't trust him, he can't help you. That is a really, really important point. And so as they were going, they were cleansed, verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying Yahweh with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, and giving thanks to him, uh, speaking of Yeshua, and he was a Samaritan. Now we know about Samaritans, they were the not so great people, or at least the Jews thought so. In verse 17, Yeshua answered and said, Where, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to Yahweh except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So out of 10 people, only one came back to give glory to Yahweh for the healing that they had just received. So it's possible to encounter Yeshua and leave without having your heart changed. They exercised faith but they didn't follow through with the behavioral change. Sometimes we just need somebody to help us through a crisis or situation. I wanna, I wanna give you three examples from scripture about people who approached Yeshua because they were interested or in need. The first one is in Mark chapter five, verse 21. It's a story that's familiar to all of us. There was a woman who had an issue of blood. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, Yeshua had crossed over in the boat and went on to the other side, and a large crowd gathered around him. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. So you can get the idea here that there's this huge swarm of people and they all know the same thing, by the way. They all know that Yeshua has the ability and the power to heal. And they've all got problems. Everybody has problems. Don't sit in the audience and think to yourself, I don't have any problems. Don't do that. Everybody's got problems. I've got problems. I'm not going to tell you what my problems are. That would be foolish. But I have told other people what my problems are. 
Let me just say this. People are in need of a healer. And this crowd was no different. So you see Yeshua, he's walking along, uh, probably not as dumb as that walk look, but he's walking along and there's people. There's people touching him, people, you know, and the, you can get the idea that the disciples were probably like bodyguards, right? Can you imagine the amount of people that wanted to touch Yeshua? It's, he was famous. It was like a, he was a superstar. It's like he rolls up in a boat, imagine a tour bus, and then he gets out and everybody's there. They're hooting and hollering for him. That's the way it was. He was a star. He was a celebrity. They wanted to meet him and talk to him. And so you get his, his heavies, his bodyguards. You remember the one time that Peter draw a sword and sliced off an ear of somebody. That's how bodyguardy they were. That's a new word. You write that down. You're going to want to use that later. Bodyguardy. All right. So they had body. And so Yeshua is moving through the crowds. And this woman, verse 25, had a hemorrhage for 12 years. This was an ongoing issue and a, dif a difficult one. And she had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. So she's got a physical ailment. She's going to the doctor and the doctor is working out and trying to help her and she's spending all of her money trying to get her a problem fixed. And actually, it didn't help at all. All she ended up doing was getting worse. And here she is, after hearing about Yeshua. See, I told you he was famous. She heard about him, and she came up to the crowd behind him, and she touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Yeshua, perceiving in himself that the power preceding him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples were like, are you kidding me? You see the crowd. How can you say, who is touching you? We're all touching you. But she touched him in a different way. They were bumping into her. She was seeking him out. And she grabbed a hold of his garment with the faith and all that she could muster. And in that moment, believed beyond all doubt that he was the cure. And she was rewarded. And he was pretty upset about it. He kept saying, who touched me? And the woman had done this. And the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, she came and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Yeshua was so famous and people were so desperate to get healed that they even cut a roof open because they couldn't get the person to him to be healed. So they just said, you know what? He's inside. We can't get the body there. We're just going to cut the roof off. How desperate are you when you cut the roof of your house off and lower a person in to be healed? That's how desperate people get to be healed. The last example is from Luke chapter 19 and Zacchaeus, one of my favorite examples. I just love the story of Zacchaeus, and it says here in verse 19, we've got to keep going, so follow along with me if you can. As Yeshua entered Jericho and was passing through, there was a man 
called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see Yeshua, or who Yeshua was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. A short fellow, Zacchaeus was. And so he's trying to look over the crowd because probably he's heard about Yeshua because Yeshua was famous. He's a celebrity. So he's walking and he's like, I want to see him. Now you would think that Zacchaeus didn't have any problems because it says that he was rich. And that oftentimes the perception is, is that if I'm rich, I don't have problems. Our perception is if you're rich, you don't have problems. How many of you know that Hollywood is full of problems? How many of you know they actually, there are magazines that profit off of Hollywood's problems? Zacchaeus had problems, and he wanted to see who Yeshua was. So he ran ahead in verse 4, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. By the way, it's believed that that sycamore tree is still in um, the land of Israel today. You can look it up right now on Google. Not right now, because that would be inappropriate. I'm trying to preach to you. You'd want to do it later, and you just want to look up Zacchaeus' the sycamore tree. So he climbs up into the tree because he knew Yeshua was about to pass by there. I want you to think about that for a second. He climbed into the tree. Climbing takes effort. Climbing takes intention. Climbing takes energy. And it takes humility. You know, even now, there are people who are short in the room. If you're short-statured, like Zacchaeus, maybe you've got a complex about being so short. Well, I'm so short. So Zacchaeus, though, he didn't care. And I think if you would just take it to a spiritual level, if you could just allow me to impose an idea on you here, what if we could consider the fact that Zacchaeus wasn't just climbing the tree to see. He was climbing out of his circumstances. He was climbing out of his physical limitations. He was climbing to find hope. He was climbing and climbing and climbing above the ridicule. Look at that short guy getting in the tree above the past. That guy's been a tax collector. He did me wrong above his reputation. He is a tax collector. He's doing me wrong above his fear. Above his pride. Zacchaeus was climbing out of his circumstance. He wanted to see Yeshua. If only I could get a glimpse of him. Many of us today, and I hope not in this room, but you know who they are, are putting the same amount of effort into meaningless and vain pursuits. We follow movie stars, pop artists, cultural trends, Sports cars, uh, sports stars. We follow politicians. We're going out of our way to know about these people, to learn about these people. We're climbing the wrong tree. If you're climbing the tree of culture, the tree of pop culture and fame, you're climbing the wrong tree. That tree only leads to emptiness deception, and pain. We need to be climbing into a tree so we can see Yeshua as clear as we possibly can. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. We don't want you to go out and chart climbing trees. Don't miss the point here. It's the effort 
knowing that Yeshua can heal you. Amen. What will it take to get me out of my situation? I want to end by sharing a few things with you here about, again, why people have a difficult time with counseling. Everybody wants to experience healing, but many don't know how. Let's go back and just think about the words that Yahweh spoke to Job there. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without what? Knowledge. You see, I don't know what I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so perhaps maybe the key to our so uh, the key to our issue or the solution to our issue is simply to know the truth about ourselves. And Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anybody who comes to me will be healed. Many people want to get healed, but they won't accept help. What stands in the way of your healing? Maybe you won't admit you have a problem. Maybe you have a fear of looking bad or looking weak. Maybe you're embarrassed about your problems. Those are all legitimate concerns. It sometimes is embarrassing that we have problems. Maybe you have doubt. Counseling doesn't work. I know people have tried it. It just doesn't work. They won't understand the complexity of my issue. It'll take too much time and money. Some people think counseling is a joke. I don't need counseling. You know what? You're right. You don't need counseling. You need to change your mind. A counselor cannot help a person who doesn't want to help themselves. The only thing counselors do is they offer sound biblical advice, which is based on the truth. They're simply there to tell you the truth. And most of the time, we are not wanting to hear the truth. Every, almost every ounce of people with psychosis or personal mental problems is because of a thinking error. I don't think correctly. I don't believe the truth. The Bible says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our mind. It's the thinking that gets us so off base. The thinking is where the problem is. And Yeshua, when he looked at people, he could see what they were thinking. And that's why he addressed it just like that. Perceiving their thoughts, the scripture says. The woman at the belt said, I perceive you to be a prophet. Well done. You just read my mind. I think you're a prophet. Yes, I am. And I want to give you a gift that no one else can give you. I want to give you water from the living well.
How can I get this water, she says. How can I get this water? That's our question today. How do we get it? You don't need counseling. You need to change. But what do you change? How do you change? This is the point of counseling. This is the point of Yeshua. When he comes, he accepts the person first and foremost. To the Samaritan woman, he says to her, go get your husband and I'll give you some of this water. And she said, sir, I have no husband. And he said, you've answered correctly. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. You've answered truthfully. You see, Yeshua knows our condition. He knows our sin. He knows our failure. And yet he says to us, I am here to heal you. The Bible says that before we were even born, Yeshua died. While we were yet sinners, Yeshua died. He knows your ailment. Do not forsake meeting Yeshua because you're afraid to admit to him who you are because he already knows who you are and he accepts you in that condition. But that's not where he leaves you. Yeshua does not leave you a sinner. He meets you where you are. He offers you sound biblical wisdom, counseling. And then he says to you this, go and sin no more. This life-changing message should result in a behavioral change. If you're not receiving the behavioral change, it's because you haven't fully accepted the truth. Many of us, I myself included, know the truth, but there are parts of the truth that I have not accepted, and it holds me back from being healed. It holds me back. I don't know what I don't know. I need to learn. I need knowledge. I need your counsel. Only when we surrender to Yeshua and believe what he says can we truly be healed. And this is his invitation, which is an invitation to you as well. Those of you who are hurting, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, Yeshua says, come to me and I will give you rest. How can Yeshua do that? How can you, how can you give me rest when I'm burdened with my sin and my problems and my marriage and, and my parent problems and the pain I have from being hurt? How can you He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, there's so much need and pain that we experience. And Father in the heavens, you're so far away, but we know that 
Yeshua came as your perfect example and he gives us a taste of what it is to be in your presence. Help us to cast away our doubt, to not worry about our circumstances, but to just climb out of the crowd above it all so that we can see you clearly. Let's not darken the council by wasting our time with words that are empty and meaningless, by ideas that are worldly and filled with error. Let us think and focus on the truth of Scripture that Yeshua says, and we can receive it. Help us to believe it and to change. And I pray, Yahweh, that if there are people in here that are in need of counseling, that are in need of healing, that are in need of help, that we can help them in whatever way we can, that we can help them with biblical thinking. Yahweh, we give you thanks today for your goodness and for your kindness toward us, and we give you all of it in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you so much for your time today.